It's the weekend, so relax and listen to some stories the whole family can enjoy. That's right, it's the Saturday Story Circle, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. I'm Jack Ward, and it's time for another adventure with Story Circle Theatre, the place where fairy tales, comedy, mystery, and classics of old and new live. Now, on to the next adventure in the Story Circle. Welcome to Story Circle Theatre, where some of our favorite friends share some of our favorite stories. Today's story is The Ant by Hans Christian Andersen presented by Jennifer Blake. So join the circle, relax, and enjoy today's story. Our aunt. You ought to have known our aunt. She was charming. That is to say, she was not charming at all as the world is usually understood. But she was good and kind, amusing in her way, and was just as anyone ought to be whom people are to talk about and to laugh at. She might have been put into a play, and wholly and solely on account of the fact that she only lived for the theater and for what was done there. She was an honorable matron, but Agent Fabs, whom she used to call Flabs, declared that her aunt was stage-struck. The theater is my school, said she, the source of my knowledge. From thence I have resuscitated biblical history. Now Moses and Joseph and Egypt, there are operas for you. I get my universal history from the theater, my geography, and my knowledge of men. Out of the French pieces, I get to know life in Paris. Slippery, but exceedingly interesting. How I have cried over La Famille Rochberg that the man must drink himself to death so that she may marry the young fellow. Yes, how many tears I have wept in the fifty years I have subscribed to the theater. Our aunt knew every acting play, every bit of scenery, every character, everyone who appeared or had appeared. She seemed really only to live during the nine months the theater was open. Summertime without a summer theater seemed to be only a time that made her old. While on the other hand, a theatrical evening that lasted till midnight was a lengthening of her life. She did not say, as other people do, Now we shall have spring, the stork is here or they've advertised the first strawberries in the papers. She, on the contrary, used to announce the coming of autumn with, Have you heard they're selling boxes for the theater? Now the performances will begin. She used to value a lodging entirely according to its proximity to the theater. It was a real sorrow to her when she had to leave the little lane behind the playhouse and move into the great street that lay a little farther off and live there in a house where she had no opposite neighbors. At home, said she, my windows must be my opera box. One cannot sit and look into oneself till one's tired. One must see people. But now I live just as if I'd go into the country. If I want to see human beings, I must go into my kitchen and sit down on the sink. For there only I have the opposite neighbors. No, when I lived in my dear little lane, I could look straight down into the ironmonger's shop and had only three hundred paces to the theater. And now I've three thousand paces to go, military measurement. Our aunt was sometimes ill, but however unwell she might feel, she never missed the play. The doctor prescribed one day that she should put her feet in a bran bath, and she followed his advice. But she drove to the theater all the same and sat with her feet in bran there. 
If she had died there, she would have been very glad. Thorwaldson died in the theater, and she called that a happy death. She could not imagine that in heaven there must be a theater, too. It had not, indeed, been promised us, but we might very well imagine it. The many distinguished actors and actresses who had passed away must surely have a field for their talent. Our aunt had an electric wire from the theater to her room, a telegram used to be dispatched to her at coffee time, and it used to consist of the words, Herr Sivertsen is at the machinery, for it was he who gave the signal for drawing the curtain up and down and for changing the scenes. From him, she used to receive a short and concise description of every piece. His opinion of Shakespeare's Tempest was mad nonsense. There's so much to put up, and the first scene begins with water to the front of the wings. That is to say, the water had to come forward so far. But when, on the other hand, the same interior scene remained through five acts, he used to pronounce it a sensible, well-written play, a resting play, which performed itself without putting up scenes. In earlier times, by which name our aunt used to designate 30 years ago, she and the before-mentioned heir Sivertson had been younger. At that time, he had already been connected with the machinery and was, as she said, her benefactor. It used to be the custom in those days that in the evening performances, in the only theater the town possessed, spectators were admitted to the part called the flies over the stage, and every machinist had one or two places to give away. Often the flies were quite full of good company. It was said that generals' wives and privy councillors' wives had been up there. It was quite interesting to look down behind the scenes and to see how the people walked to and fro on the stage when the curtain was down. Our aunt had been there several times, as well when there was a tragedy as when there was a ballet, for the pieces in which there were the greatest number of characters on the stage were the most interesting to see from the flies. One sat pretty much in the dark up there, and most people took their supper up with them. Once, three apples and a great piece of bread and butter and sausage fell down right into the dungeon of Ugolino, where that unhappy man was to be starved to death, and there was great laughter among the audience. The sausage was one of the weightiest reasons why the worthy management refused in future to have any spectators up in the flies. But I was there seven and thirty times, said our aunt, and I shall always remember Mr. Sivertson for that. On the very last evening, when the flies were still open to the public, the judgment of Solomon was performed, as our aunt remembered very well. She had, through the influence of her benefactor, Herr Sivertson, procured a free admission for the agent Fobbs, although he did not deserve it in the least, for he was always cutting his jokes about the theater and teasing our aunt. But she had procured him a free admission to the flies for all that. He wanted to look at his player stuff from the other side. Those were his own words, and they were just like him, said our aunt. He looked down from above on the judgment of Solomon and fell asleep over it. One would have thought that he had come from a dinner where many toasts had been given. He went to sleep and was locked in. And there he sat through the dark night in the flies, and when he woke he told a story, but our aunt would not believe it. The judgment of Solomon was over, he said, and all the people had gone away, upstairs and downstairs. But now the real play began, and after peace, which was the best of all, said the agent. Then life came into the affair. It was not the judgment of Solomon that was performed. No, a real court of judgment was held upon the stage. And Agent Fobbs had the impudence to try and make her aunt believe all this. That was the thanks she got for having got him a place in the flies. What did the agent say? Why, it was curious enough to hear, but there was malice and satire in it. It looked dark enough up there, 
said the agent. But then the magic business began. A great performance. The judgment in the theater. The box keepers read their posts, and every spectator had to show his ghostly passbook that it might be decided if he was to be admitted with the hands loose or bound, and with or without a muzzle. Grand people who came too late when the performance had begun, and young people who could not always watch the time were tied up outside and had list slippers put on their feet with which they were allowed to go in before the beginning of the next act, and they had muzzles too. And then the judgment on the stage began. All malice and not a bit of truth in it, said our aunt. The painter, who wanted to get to paradise, had to go up a staircase which he himself painted, but which no man could mount. That was to expiate his sins against perspective. All the plants and buildings which the property man had placed with infinite pains in countries to which they did not belong, the poor fellow was obliged to put in their right places before the cockcrow, if he wanted to get into paradise. Let Erfab see how he would get in himself, but what he said of the performers, tragedians and comedians, singers and dancers, that was the most rascally of all. Mr. Fabs, indeed. Flabs. He did not deserve to be admitted at all, and our aunt would not soil her lips with what he said. And he said, did Flobs, that the whole was written down, and it should be printed when he was dead and buried, but not before, for he would not risk having his arms and legs broken. Once our aunt had been in fear and trembling in her temple of happiness, the theater. It was on a winter day, one of those days in which one has a couple of hours of daylight with a gray sky. It was terribly cold and snowy, but Aunt must go to the theater. A little opera and a great ballet were performed, and a prologue and an epilogue into the bargain, and that would last till late at night. Our Aunt must needs go, so she borrowed a pair of fur boots of her lodger, boots with fur inside and out, and which reached far up her legs. She got to the theater and to her box. The boots were warm, and she kept them on. Suddenly there was a cry of fire! Smoke was coming from one of the side scenes and streamed down from the flies, and there was a terrible panic. The people came rushing out, and her aunt was the last in the box. On the second tier, left-hand side, for from there the scenery looks best, she used to say. The scenes are always arranged that they look best from the king's side. Aunt wanted to come out, but the people before her, in their fright and heedlessness, slammed the door of the box, and there sat our aunt, and couldn't get out, and couldn't get in. That is to say, she couldn't get into the next box, for the partition was too high for her. She called out, and no one heard her. She looked down into the tier of boxes below her, and it was empty, and low, and looked quite near, and Aunt and her terror felt quite young and light. She thought of jumping down, and had gotten one leg over the partition, the other resting on the bench. There she sat astride, as if on horseback, well wrapped up in her flowered cloak, with one leg hanging out, a leg in a tremendous fur boot. That was a sight to behold, and when it was beheld, our aunt was heard too, and was saved from burning, for the theater was not burned down. That was the most memorable evening of her life, and she was glad that she could not see herself, for she would have died with confusion. Her benefactor in the machinery department, Herr Sivertson, visited her every Sunday, but it was a long time from Sunday to Sunday. In the latter time, therefore, she used to have in a little child for the scraps, that is to say, to eat up the remains of the dinner. It was a child employed in the ballet, one that certainly wanted feeding. The little one used to appear, sometimes as an elf, sometimes as a page. The most difficult part she had to play was the lion's hind leg in the magic flute. But as she grew larger, she could represent the forefeet of the lion. 
She certainly only got half a guilder for that, whereas the hind legs were paid for with a whole guilder. But then she had to walk bent and to do without fresh air. This was all very interesting to hear, said our aunt. She deserved to live as long as the theater stood, but she could not last so long, and she did not die in the theater, but respectably in her bed. Her last words were, moreover, not without meaning. She asked, what will the play be tomorrow? At her death, she left about $500. We presume this from the interest, which came to $20. This our aunt had destined as a legacy for a worthy old spinster who had no friends. It was to be devoted to a yearly subscription for a place in the second tier, on the left side, for the Saturday evening. For on that evening, two pieces are always given, it said in the will, and the only condition laid upon the person who enjoyed the legacy was that she should think every Saturday evening of our aunt who was lying in her grave. This was our aunt's religion. We hope you enjoyed today's story read to you by Jennifer Blake. Be sure and join us at Story Circle Theater next week right here on the Mutual Audio Network. And keep on reading. All background music by David Pessling from PesslingStudios.com. Thank you for joining us today at Story Circle Theater, a member of the Mutual Audio Network. If you have a story to tell, contact us at mutualaudio at gmail.com. And we'll see you again next time for another story. If you want a huge selection of audio drama, some of the newest ones out there as they come out, then do find Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, which is the new home of the Sonic Society, the world's longest-running, largest showcase of modern audio drama. You can find us on the Sunday Showcase feed, or if you want to hear all of the day's worth of audio, then you can find it on the main Mutual Audio Network feed, wherever you get your podcasts. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.